Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 14.2 Destroyed Unlike the Rest Last week we introduced the 14th wonder of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis at Ephesus. Perhaps the largest temple built in the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis was a marvel of engineering and construction. Sophisticated equipment was needed to lift the heavy marble blocks used in the panoramic frieze that stood above the columns and supported the massive roof. To this day, we are still unsure how, in the 6th century BC, the builders of this massive temple got the blocks in place so perfectly. The cult of Artemis was one of the strongest amongst the followers of the ancient Greek gods. So the temple was a fitting home for the goddess, which was in her own backyard. But the temple is not only famous for its impressive construction or engineering, it is also famous for how it was destroyed. As we mentioned last week, the Temple of Artemis was not destroyed by an invading army or a rival religious faction. At least, not yet. One man decided to etch his name in history forever and destroy the Temple of Artemis for no other reason. The Temple of Artemis, which made the original list of seven wonders of the ancient world, was not the first temple dedicated to the goddess at Ephesus. As we mentioned last week, there had been a temple there previously in the city. But there was no evidence of foul play in the destruction of the original temple. The second temple would only stand for about 200 years or so before meeting its demise. We are unsure as to the exact date of its destruction, but we do know it was destroyed sometime in the 4th century BC. Those who worshipped Artemis believed that the temple was destroyed in connection to a very significant event in the ancient world. But this correlation came centuries after the destruction of the temple, so there's no way that anyone who witnessed the destruction of the temple of Artemis would have made this connection. The temple was destroyed by a man named Herostrasus. He would become history's most famous arsonist. This notoriety was the sole reason he committed the crime of burning down the temple of Artemis. It's not like he was a worshipper of other gods or goddesses or another deity and was offended by the temple of Artemis. Most likely, he was a worshipper of the Greek gods and goddesses. So what his reasoning was for destroying the temple, we have no idea. I am a pyromaniac myself, but even this, destroying a wonder of the ancient world, is beyond crazy. It would be as if I burned down the Taj Mahal purely because I wanted to put my name in the history books. There are certainly substantially less moronic moves you could make to put yourself in history. But Herostrasus was determined to have his name remembered, so he burned down the Temple of Artemis. Sadly, we do not have any descriptions of the burning of this temple. We do not know when or how the fire started. We do not know what all was destroyed. And we do not know how much of the building was salvageable. However, this does bring us to a point I brought up last week. 
If the statue of the Temple of Artemis was indeed cedar wood, it would have made a perfect place to start the fire. Plus, there were undoubtedly lamps, tables, sacrifices, and other flammables inside the temple. A fire would have been impossible to contain. Centuries later, ancient historians would associate this destruction of the Temple of Artemis with a very specific date. Plutarch, the great ancient Roman historian, when writing about his biography of Alexander the Great, wrote this. It was this coincidence which inspired Hegesias of Magnesia to utter a joke which was flat enough to have put the fire out. He said it was no wonder the Temple of Artemis was destroyed, since the goddess was busy attending to the birth of Alexander. But those of the Magi, who were then at Ephesus, interpreted the destruction of the temple as the potent of a far greater disaster. And they ran through the city, beating their faces, and crying out that that day had brought forth a great scourge and calamity for Asia. It's amazing how they were right. The birth of Alexander the Great is believed to be the 21st of July, 356 BC. And while the exact date of the destruction of the Temple of Artemis remains a mystery, we do know that it was destroyed sometime in the 4th century. So this association makes sense. Now, did the destruction of the Temple of Artemis occur on the exact date of Alexander the Great's birth? Most likely not. But it was close enough that ancient historians were able to make that connection. And think about it. Alexander the Great would become a scourge of Asia. He would conquer the entire Persian Empire and create an elaborate, vast empire of his own. So maybe both the Magi and the Jokester were right. Despite this tragic end to a wonder of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis would not be gone forever. Like a phoenix, the Temple of Artemis would literally rise from the ashes and become a prominent place of worship in the ancient world. A third temple of Artemis was rebuilt on the original spot where the second temple stood. The construction of this new temple began almost immediately after the destruction of the second. The workers did their best to reconstruct the wonder exactly like the second. While an exact replica was impossible, Greek historian Strabo claimed that this third temple was even more grand than the second. But before we get into those details, Strabo makes an interesting note about the construction of this third temple. Strabo mentions how Alexander himself, when he visited Ephesus in 334 BC, right after he began his conquest of the Persian Empire, that Alexander offered to pay the building expenses for this new temple. Such a generous offer, you would think that the people of Ephesus would have snatched this opportunity up. But Alexander had one condition for his donation. The workers would have to put his name on a plaque once the temple was completed, and this plaque would have to be placed on a column. Of all the wonders of the ancient world, both on this list and the honorable mentions, I cannot think of one that has such a connection to a major historical figure like the Temple of Artemis has to Alexander. I mean, sure, the Pharos was built in Alexandria, 
But Alexander was long dead before that city would become one of the greatest cities of the ancient world. But the fact that Alexander was there personally during the construction of the third temple of Artemis and offered to pay for it is frankly really cool. But his offer was turned down. This was done because one man, who has gone down in history unnamed, refused the offer. He told Alexander that it was not right for one god to present gifts to another god. The fact that even before Alexander finished his conquest of the Persian Empire, he was already viewed as a god, showed us how the people viewed Alexander, and history would treat him similarly. However, since the Ephesians turned down Alexander's offer to pay for the temple, how did they do it themselves? They did so by taxing their own people and confiscating their valuables, such as jewelry. This new temple, as previously noted, was not quite the same size as its predecessor. This new temple was designed by either Chirocrates or Deinocrates. We are not sure as to which man was responsible. It's possible that it was a collaboration effort between the two men. Their final design was absolutely massive, just like the preceding temple was. Now we say that this one didn't quite match the size, we're not saying that there was a significant size difference. This third temple of Artemis was truly magnificent in its own right. Their final design measured 105 meters, 344 feet, by 55 meters, 180 feet, with columns a little short of 18 meters, about 55 feet high. This third temple was also placed on a taller base. This made the Temple of Artemis seem more imposing as it literally stood over the rest of the city. This elevated base helped make an impression on the men who saw this third temple. Numerous men wrote of how of all the wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis was the most impressive building they had ever seen. Pliny the Elder described the Temple of Artemis as the most wonderful monument of Grecian magnificence. Pausanias, a 2nd century Greek travel writer, in his book Description of Greece, describes the size of the temple as being surpassing all buildings among men. This is high praise for any building of the ancient world. As we have seen on this show, Wonders of the ancient world were not all that uncommon. So calling one that surpasses all buildings among men is truly the highest praise you can give. The third temple would stand substantially longer than either of the first two. It stood from about the 4th century BC to the 3rd century AD. It would be the centerpiece of Ephesus which would remain an important city throughout the Hellenistic period and well into Roman times. The city of Ephesus was even made the capital of the Roman province of Asia, which consisted of most of western modern-day Turkey. Being the main temple to one of the main goddesses around certainly helped bring in plenty of travelers and tourists. But not all who traveled to the city were there to pray to the goddess or marvel at her home. In the mid-first century AD, 
there is a fascinating account recorded in the Bible that shows us exactly how the people of Ephesus viewed the temple of Artemis. I'm going to read the account in its entirety, as I think it helps us get a better picture and understanding the people of Ephesus and how they viewed their magnificent temple. This account can be found in the book of Acts chapter 19 and records the fascinating encounter between the Apostle Paul and the people of Ephesus. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them were rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quickly quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then, Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion, since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. While this account is a little long, I wanted to read the whole thing so we understand how the people of Ephesus viewed Artemis and her temple. This was not something like the Great Pyramids which had been built centuries before and did not resonate with the present people. In fact, the exact opposite is true. While both the Romans and the Greeks were not opposed to gods from other religions, the people of Ephesus held Artemis dearly. 
She was a part of their founding, and her temple deserved to be protected at all costs. The cult of Artemis is one of the strongest recorded in the ancient world. Nowhere else in the ancient world, at least that I have found, where dedication to one single deity was as strong as the commitment to Artemis was at Ephesus. Despite the followers of Artemis's best efforts and all their love for their goddess, they could do nothing about protecting the temple itself. They could do their best to keep other religion and religious followers out of the area, but when an invading army came, they were powerless to stop them. Such an army arrived on the shores near Ephesus in 262 AD. The Goths raided the province of Asia and destroyed the Temple of Artemis. Gothic historian Jordanes wrote about the invasion. Respa, Veduc, and Thuraru, leaders of the Goths, took ship and sailed across the Strait of the Hellespont to Asia. There, they laid waste many populous cities and set fire to the renowned temple of Diana at Ephesus. Despite this setback, though, the temple would be rebuilt one last time. The followers of Artemis were determined to keep her presence very much alive in the city. The temple would continue to be renowned as one of the wonders of the ancient world. But it was clear that the heyday for the temple of Artemis was over. As Christianity moved deeper into the Roman Empire, it was only a matter of time before the Temple of Artemis would be destroyed for good. The destruction of the Third Temple of Artemis was an omen for things to come. Despite the temple being rebuilt one last time, it would never see its popularity rise the way it had for the Second or even the Third Temples. Christianity was spreading quickly through the Roman Empire, and pagan temples were one by one being shut down. About 50 years after the rebuild, Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity himself, and from there, the handwriting was on the wall. Pagan temples were officially declared closed by Emperor Theodosius I in 391 AD. The Temple of Artemis would not last much longer. It would finally be destroyed in 401 AD by a Christian mob, determined to remove any presence of the pagan temple. But the Temple of Artemis, despite everybody's best efforts, would not disappear from history. The rumor sprung up that some of the marble stones and some of the columns that were used in the temple's final rebuild were repurposed for the greatest church of the Middle Ages, the Hagia Sophia, in Constantinople. Now whether or not this is true, there's no way for us to know. But repurposing ancient stone was a common practice in the medieval world, as we have seen multiple times on this show. And the marble used in the Temple of Artemis was world-renowned for its beauty. So it's not impossible to think that some of the elaborate columns used in the magnificent church were once a part of the pagan temple of Artemis. Despite numerous burnings, destructions, and religious turmoil, the Temple of Artemis continued to captivate the imaginations of people. In fact, such was the legend of the Temple of Artemis that it was one of the first sites in which 19th century Western archaeologists 
deliberately went searching for. The site of the Temple of Artemis, along with numerous artifacts, including statues of Artemis herself, were rediscovered in 1869 by John Turtlewood, a British archaeologist funded by the British Museum. A piece of one of the magnificent columns from the Great Temple in the 5th century BC was found and currently resides in the British Museum today. All that remains of the final Temple of Artemis, though, is the base and a single solitary column. I have pictures of both of these up on the website. The Temple of Artemis was truly one of the greatest temples ever constructed in history. It had a passionate following that rebuilt the temple numerous times and kept it a relevant part of the city of Ephesus for centuries. It was truly a marvel of engineering and construction. Some of the largest stone blocks in the ancient world were lifted straight up to create the panoramic frieze around the top of the temple. It was truly remarkable, and is more than deserving of its spot, not only on the original list of Seven Wonders, but on this list as well. However, next week, we will move on to the next wonder of the ancient world. We will head down the Fertile Crescent to one of the most preserved ancient structures in the region. But while this wonder may not be the biggest, fanciest, or made out of gold, it is a wonder that may or may not have a crazy side story. The inspiration for this wonder may very well have been the world's first and most famous tower. <laughs>